The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. If readers don't care about your characters, they won't care about your book. If your characters are wooden, generic, or forgettable, readers won't buy, read if they're given, or finish if they start reading your book, and they certainly won't recommend it. If you want to write a book that people not only finish, but recommend to their friends, you must craft compelling characters. So how do you do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. And we have a special guest who is the author of both award-winning and best-selling books. And he's also the kind of writing coach that people like Jerry Jenkins go to advice. And he writes novels and popular craft books, including his newest book, Writing Unforgettable Characters, How to Create Story People Who Jump Off the Page. Uh, James Scott Bell, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Well, Thomas Umstead, it is a pleasure to be with you, the man who knows all, sees all, and podcasts all. (laughs) Very much a pleasure. Well, thank you. Uh, My first question is, are unforgettable characters really that important, or did I oversell it in the intro? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, You know, I I started out as a plot and structure guy. That was the part of the craft that was most mysterious to me when I was first learning how to write fiction. And uh, I I really got to nail that very well. And then one day I I wrote a screenplay because I was in Los Angeles and it's like an ordinance that you, (laughs) if you have opposable thumbs, you got to write a screenplay. But uh, there was an agent who said that she would be happy to look at it. I sent it in and, um, you know, she said the plot was, was really good, but the, the characters didn't jump off the page. And I just thought, okay, okay, what's that all about? And then as I started to analyze that aspect of the craft, realized, you know, when we talk about great stories, uh, novels, movies that we like, usually we're talking about the characters in the movies or in the book. We're saying, gosh, that was a great character. And then, so really, to to get your fiction on all cylinders, it's really a marriage of of plot and character. They you need both, and uh, the the more you can heighten the character aspect, the more unforgettable uh, the book will be, and that's what we want. I would say, especially in series, right? If somebody's going to go from book one to book two, which is where you really make money as an author, right? It's writing a series. What keeps them in the series, sure, you can end it in a cliffhanger and have some plot elements that pull them in, but what really keeps them reading is wanting to spend more time with the characters, right? That's what keeps you watching that TV show five seasons in, right? The plot is different every episode, but the characters are the same, and that's what keeps you in the story world. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, series characters, the great series characters, we think of, you know, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Hercule Poirot, um, Harry Bosch all meet that criteria that you have a a character who's multifaceted, kind of quirky, usually something that keeps you interested in him or her as a character. And then you can proceed throughout the, the series that way. And there's really, there's two ways to do that, by the way, you know, Harry Bosch uh, in the Connolly books is constantly undergoing inner transformations. Uh, He's got inner demons to deal with and, he overcomes them. He discovers things about himself and so on. Whereas in the Jack Reacher books of Lee Child, he stays the same. You know, he just, you know, he goes into a town. Nobody knows him. 
he gets in trouble. He beats people up. And uh, he, you know, buys some clothes at a thrift store, gets his toothbrush and moves on. And both of uh, I've heard both authors talk numerous times about this, you know, for, for Connolly, that's really where he gets the juice for the character is he's got uh, a, a growth process to go through based upon the backstory for, for Lee Child. He just likes, he knows his readers want that kind of sameness in each book. So he does that. That way, but both characters are unforgettable. And while Jack Reacher is the same, everything else is different, right? He's in a totally different town with almost entirely different characters. I imagine some characters are kind of pulled with him from story to story, but for the most part, he's he's different just in the sense that he's in a completely different frame. Yeah, exactly. Which allows you to see him in a different way. And that's a um, friend of mine, uh, Thomas Sawyer, who was the showrunner for A Murder, She Wrote, and uh, has, uh, you know, authored a number of TV hit TV series and scripts. You know, he that's how he envisioned that that setup. Yeah, um, Angela Lansbury's character Jessica is is the same character, and and she's got some associates. But in each episode, you bring in these quirky characters who are, you know, alternatively uh, allies or enemies, uh, suspects, and so forth. The, and that's what gives the originality to each of those episodes. So, yeah. You, you talked earlier about multifaceted characters. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Uh, what is a character facet and what kind of facets should a character have? <laughs> well, I think for the, to start at the basic bottom line level, uh, a character has to show strength of will. I mean, that's really, to me, what a, what a, a successful story or novel is it is a character fighting against the there's three aspects of death that I talk about you know physical death professional or psychological spiritual death and it, unless it feels like a life and death issue for the character I don't think the reader is going to be as interested as they could be now the character him or herself has to at some point and very early in the book show that they have the capacity for strength of will, for them taking the initiative to do something. They have to grow. They have to learn to fight. They have to gather resources, whatever it is. But you can't have a character just reacting uh, for very long. You've got to have a character now start to act. So that's really the first fundamental facet, I would say. And then along the way, various things take place. For example, um, what is a character, what is really driving a character, not just in the story, but in their life? What do they burn with? What is the thing that they would die for? And how is the plot compelling them to have to make choices along those lines? There's That brings in uh, inner conflict, which is a great tool for complexity. Because along the way, the character is going to have all sorts of reasons to not continue the fight. But yet, on the other side, there are all these reasons they have to continue the fight. And so, to the extent you can play with those elements, you create complexity, which for the reader is a great value, a great entertainment value. And I really want to underline this, because this is really important. And this is so important that you almost can't get to the other elements of the character until you've got this 
figured out. And I was doing a pitch training for Realm Makers, and I was hearing all of these authors pitch their books, often for the very first time. They'd never pitched their books before. And as I was coaching them on how to do it, I kept going back to who is your protagonist and what do they want? Right. And the authors who didn't have a clear answer, they all could name the protagonist, right? The main character of my story is so-and-so. But often it's like, oh, well, what do they want? And they were kind of hemming and hawing. It's like, you're not ready <laughs> to right. pitch this. Your character has to want something strong enough to move the plot forward. The, the protagonist has to actually protag. And, <laughs> and sometimes what happens in Christian fiction is where the bad guys end up being more interesting and they want things that are more clear and are doing things in more interesting ways. And the bad guys end up being the more interesting characters. The classic mistake, right, of, of Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, arguably, is that Lucifer is the most interesting character because he's protagging harder than everyone else. He's the one moving the plot forward. Right. Well, I, you know, let me just add to that that the, the, um, rendition of a villain or, you know, not all antagonists are villains, but, Let's just, I write thrillers primarily, and so I'm usually dealing with a villain. And <clears throat> you you have such a great opportunity. I think in Christian fiction sometimes there's a tendency to make that villain character all evil, all bad, um, kind of stereotypically evil. Whereas it's much more interesting when the character is actually somewhat attractive or and justified in their own mind, because actually, isn't that what the Bible says, that the, uh, Satan can appear as an angel of light? Usually, they're pre presenting themselves as, a, as a beautiful. So I advise on the writing of antagonists to actually create a closing argument, like in front of a jury, that the character himself would 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 give if he was trying to justify all the bad things that he did. And the example I use is the chilling uh, defense of himself by Hermann Goering in the Nuremberg trials and how he gave a complete defense of what the Nazis did based on, you know, the history of Germany and, and what was going on in the Treaty of Versailles and all of that. And you look at that and you go, man, he really thought he was doing right because uh, the villains don't wake up every morning thinking, what evil can I do? Except Dr. Evil. He's the only character who's allowed to do that. But otherwise, they think they're doing right. That's right. And there's many ways of making a villain more complex, right? One way is just making them very competent. One of my favorite villains is Admiral Thrawn from the Star Wars books, um, who got cut from the movies. The movies, the, the oh. sequel series should have been about him. He was the most, uh, second most interesting villain in all of Star Wars next to um, Vader and the exact opposite of Vader. So Vader is somebody who's controlled by his emotions. He's very angry and he's very physically powerful, right? He can control the force. Thrawn is none of those things. Uh -huh. He's cool. He's calculating. He's brilliant. He's in absolute control over his emotions. He's not human. So he's, he's a kind of a lesser species in the empire, which tends to prefer humans. And, uh, he has no force abilities. And yet he's this really compelling really compelling character and you can have different and part of what makes him compelling is that he's so brilliant it's almost like he can predict the future but uh -huh. he doesn't actually predict the future he just knows his enemy so well he he's able to to predict the future just with logic and reason he doesn't need the force because he's so smart well think about think about hannibal lecter one of the great antagonists of, of uh, crime fiction because this guy is the smartest person in any room 
He's able to manipulate people from his cell into doing things. And he's got this wicked kind of almost charm to him that it, and that's really the scary part of, of villainy and evil is that it, it is attractive. And so when you can do that for the reader, they're experiencing that emotion. And I'm all for what I call cross currents of emotion. You know, you're, you're pulling for the hero, but then this villain, you know, starts to assert a, a certain uh, a sway upon you and you have these cross currents. And that's not a bad thing. It makes the emotional experience of the novel, again, unforgettable. That's what we're going for. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about some more uh, facets of a uh, character, because we don't want our characters to just have strength of will. Although it can't. A, a good example of a character who just has that is the um, little rodent who wants the acorn in the Ice Age movies. I don't. You, you, you don't have to have seen the movies. You'd have to see the trailer, right? But the, the little squirrel keeps trying to get the acorn, yeah. and the acorn keeps getting moved away, and it keeps chasing <laughs> the acorn, and that's interesting. And it holds your attention for a trailer, but it doesn't necessarily hold your attention for a whole hour and a half movie. You have to have more facets to a character than just wanting something really bad. So what are some of the other elements of making a compelling character? Well, um, I think along the lines of showing uh, strength of will, that has various facets of, of uh, being illustrative. So, for example, I have a, a chapter in the book on grit and moxie. And grit is, you know, it's an old-fashioned word, but a good word that's kind of making a comeback in business uh, book circles, uh, is standing up against conflict that that is immediate. Uh, you know, there's that famous novel, True Grit, which was, you know, most people think of, you know, John Wayne as Rooster Cogburn, but really the book is about Mattie, the girl, her true right. grit. How this young girl meets obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, refusing to quit in order to get justice for her murdered father. And then <clears throat> Moxie. I like this one because there's a certain degree of forward, uh, you know, audacity that a character uses. The uh, example I like to use is uh, Eddie Murphy in the movie 48 Hours. And it's really the the scene in that movie that made Eddie Murphy a superstar, which, uh, if you'll recall the film, he's a, a prisoner who is uh, taken out by uh, a cop because he's the one guy who can get the information they need to find this killer. So he's out there and he is, you know, Eddie Murphy's got attitude and so on. And he goes in, at one point, they go into a redneck bar. So it's just all these white country guys and, you know, the typical stuff playing pool and so on. And just by pure moxie, he convinces them all that he's from the police and that he has the power to close the place down. And it's just a, it's a wonderful scene. But those are the kinds of things that you can do on a large scale or on a small scale in order to uh, just bring something more inventive to a character. And so, yeah, I would say those, those things as well. Okay. Let's also talk about some flaws, right? Because part of a journey of a character is not just the challenge of fighting the other, right? Man against man or man against society. But there's also kind of the man against himself, right? He he would be doing these great things, but he has these flaws that he's trying to overcome. Um, how do you decide? And we don't want to have, you know, perfect Mary Sue characters that are 
you know, practically perfect in every way, right? I mean, you can get away with that, I guess, if you're creating um, what what's the character I'm thinking of? Uh, Mary Poppins, right? <laughs> you can only have one Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's already been claimed. So how do you decide what flaws to give your character that serve the story as a whole? Do you just randomly pick flaws and then work, have the character work around them? Or do you have the flaws connect with the theme of the novel overall? Well, let me just push back slightly on the idea that all characters need flaw, moral flaws because... Um, for you know, we were talking about Jack Reacher. You know, he he's not you know introspecting. He's not going to see a shrink. He he stays pretty much the same throughout there. And that's why I talk about two kinds of arcs for characters. the The one that you're describing is a solid one and a good one. Is where a character begins with some moral flaws, and a moral flaw is something that affects other people around him. Um, my classic example is Rick in Casablanca, who who sticks his neck out for nobody, doesn't care about anybody else. And we don't know why he, he's doing that. We find out later. And then his arc is, is he going to be that guy at the end of the story? Or will he grow out of it and reclaim his humanity? And then uh, I, I've written a book called Write Your Novel from the Middle, and I mentioned that in this book as well, as to know the kind of story you're telling. Because in the middle of a book or, or movie, if you know the character confronting him or herself as if looking in a mirror at themselves, um, the, Rick in Casablanca looks at himself and thinks, am I really this guy? Am I this bad? Am I going to stay this way? Who, who am I? Is this what I've become? And then in the other kind of um, arc, which is not a transformative into a, a, a more essential character, it is that the character has to become stronger. There's still uh, basically a, um, a good human being, but they have to become stronger. And my classic example of that is um, The Fugitive, uh, the Harrison Ford film based on the TV show, where this you know surgeon ha- is a fundamentally good man, wrongly accused of murdering his wife. So what he has to do is try to, find out, can I survive being an escaped prisoner and eventually get justice? So his mirror moment, I call it a mirror moment in the middle, is I'm looking at the situation that looks like I'm probably going to die. I'm probably going to, I can't face these odds. And that's a really good linchpin for for helping a writer know what their story is really about and how they want to tell it. Right, because like a Jack Reacher type story, it's not about Jack Reacher looking in the mirror and fighting himself. Right, right. That's very much a man against society kind of story. Right. He's it's it's in many ways it's the classic western. Right. It's a man outside of the law bringing order to a chaotic world. He is trying to change the frame around him, and the community is different after he leaves. And so it's about him trying to bring that change, trying to bring that justice. Um, from outside of the law, right? Kind of the vigilante justice in a sense. But but you're right in that he doesn't have any moral failings, but he's still an interesting character. So how do they do that? Is it by giving him unique challenges, the fact that he's so poor, right? If he came in with the authority of the police, perhaps he would be a less interesting character. Well, you you know with a Reacher book that he's going to show something uh, through physical prowess and then mental prowess too. And that's kind of the key to all of these kinds of series, like even with Hercule Poirot, 
uh, who doesn't change or uh, Miss Marple who doesn't change. What, what happens is that, that next case that they're working on or that next situation Reacher finds himself in has got to seem like it's the toughest thing that they've had so far. And so in the middle of that, of that book, they're thinking, you know, Gad Zooks, how am I going to get out of this one? How am I going to fight this fight? Uh, how am I going to meet the mental challenge of this villain? That's really the key to those characters. And that's how you keep, keep interest. Now the readers all know that it's going to work out in the end. Kind of like the same situation with a category romance. They know the, the two lovers are going to end up together, but then they have the kind of the fun of the journey seeing how they get there. And, and also I'd say they're very quirky. Hercule Poirot, or however you pronounce his name, um, while he doesn't have any flaws, like he doesn't have any moral flaws necessarily, he does have some quirks yes. that um, kind of inhibit, in some cases, his work. But also, whether they're helping or not in him moving the plot forward, they're making him more interesting as a character. So let's, so let's talk a little bit about how do you make your characters quirky without making them overly quirky or cheesy quirky? Because I feel like making quirky, adding quirks to characters is very easily done poorly. It's a seasoning that you have to be really careful with when you add it to your dish. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. It is seasoning. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book when I talk about creating a great series character is that they usually do, they, they, they have a core competency. They're really good at something, uh, whether it's pure cogitation. You know, Holmes has this incredible mind, but he also has a major quirk called cocaine. Um, <laughs> and so it goes so far as to say that it's a flaw. <laughs> yeah. It could be, you know, Watson, he did the, to, to his credit, uh, Holmes doesn't affect other people. He likes, you know, his mind needs the stimulation. When he doesn't get it, he goes to the 7% solution and sits by himself. But he's, he's very quirky in that, in that sense. And, you know, uh, Hercule Poirot is very fastidious about his mustache and his dress and so on. So I think your, um, uh, analogy about spice is really apt. You can really overspice a dish and ruin it. So it's a matter of being very careful. And even one great spice um, out here in California, we like our cilantro with our Mexican food. You probably do in Austin as well. Um, you know, that one addition is enough. We don't want to we don't want to uh, muffle it with something else. So it's just a matter of making a choice, testing it out in your mind, maybe even testing it out with some uh, readers, you know, beta readers to see what they think. But when you find one, uh, it's a great, a great thing to have for a continuing series. And I would say this is another one of those things where knowing your readers is really important, right? How spicy do your target readers right. want their book? Which is why picking beta readers must be done very carefully. These are not your author friends. If you're writing right. sci-fi and you have a bunch of friends who write romance, those will be terrible beta readers for you. Even if they are best-selling, award-winning romance readers, they are not doing the role of being a beta reader, which is to represent your target market. If you're writing military sci-fi, you'd better have some beta readers who've read uh, military sci-fi books in the last 12 months exactly. on their own initiative, right? That They are their own uh, genuine fans of the genre. Right. And you, it's so important to go and find real fans of the genre that you're writing in. If you don't know anyone 
who is reads in the genre that you're writing in, and you are writing to fix that genre because you think it's broken, you know who's not going to agree with you? <laughs> All the current readers in your book is a guaranteed failure. So if you're saying, my book is for so-and-so who doesn't like such-and-such, it's like, oh, be really careful with that presentation of your book. Yeah, well said, well said. So um, other than uh, we talked about will, right, what the characters want. We've talked about flaws, whether or not to have give them flaws and, and challenges. We've also talked about quirks. What are other elements that go into uh, unforgettable characters? Uh, I'd say th- three things. Um, no, a nobility, nobility of purpose. Um, uh, unless, well, let me put it this way. Even... If you're writing about very flawed characters, like in um, hard crime fiction, hard-boiled crime fiction of the 40s and 50s and 60s, you can have a character who is a criminal, who is of that element, and yet his cause can be more noble than all the other criminals around him. Uh, There's a famous example, uh, a novel about... um, a character named Parker by Donald Westlake, who wrote under the pseudonym Richard Stark, was turned into a movie called Point Blank with um, Lee Marvin and then later Payback with Mel Gibson. But this guy's a criminal. He was on a heist. He's supposed to get half the money. And then his partner, you know, turns on him, tries to kill him, and he almost dies. Now he comes back to get his half of the money. Only the money is now with the organization, you know, the syndicate. And the syndicate looks at this guy and says, why are you coming back, you know, for this amount of money? And he says, I don't want that amount. I just want my amount. I just want half. I just want what I want. And he goes all the way up the ladder, killing people to get to the top of the organization, just wanting his half of the money. Now, you kind of root for that because, you know, he was the one who was unjustly treated by his criminal element partner. So that's, uh, but then most of the time, you have a, a character, a hero, who's representing a, a noble cause. Um, you know, you have Atticus Finch, for example. You know, they're they're representing somehow the highest and best. And then they can show nobility uh, at the end. And an, uh, another great uh, element is sacrifice. What is this protagonist sacrificing in order to do what is right? Um, and then again, if we turn to Casablanca, which I always turn to, you know, Rick sacrifices at the end the thing he wants most in the world, Ingrid Bergman. And, you know, it's a very understandable choice. He wants her, but he knows that to take her away now would hurt the war effort because she's taking her away from her husband, who's a war hero. And then also he's sacrificing his life, basically, because once they take off and the French police arrest him, he's going to go before a firing squad. And then there's a great reversal of sacrifice there. So nobility and sacrifice. And then one other thing I'll mention is that is, and I think this is really important. I put that at the top of my list is unpredictability. You know, when you think about it, what is, what is boring? It's when a reader anticipates what's going to happen and then it happens. That's, that's the definition of boring. So if you got to find ways to make your character unpredictable in a scene or in a in a you know a, a beat of the of the story, so I have a whole chapter on that, and I think it's probably the most important one in terms of readability. How you get the how you get the readers just really clued in to to the uh, character. 
Or do you advocate dice? I know some authors use dice um, to add an unpredictable element where there are moments in the story where something's going to happen and they'll roll dice or cast lots even so that they aren't in full control over what happens. Do you advocate for that or how do you recommend uh, adding that unpredictability to the story? Now, wait a minute. Are you talking about the author rolling the dice or the character rolling dice? Right. So as the author's writing the book, there'll there'll be outcomes that are assigned to various numbers of the dice roll. And they'll roll the dice and then they commit to themselves that they're committed to that outcome. So it's so it's almost like a role-playing element. So in role-playing games, which is like an interactive storytelling, there's there's dice that's rolled, right? So they go into the bar and they talk to the bartender to see if they can learn the secrets, right? And so you roll the dice to see if that is successful or not, right? That's a really simple version of that. But I know authors who will do versions of that where – um, they're rolling their dice to see if a character lives or not or to, to see if something's successful or <laughs> even more substantial um, story elements than that. Well, it's funny that you should mention that because I taught uh, a series of workshops across the country several years ago where we did exactly that. I gave everybody dice and I had a list of different twists and turns that the dice would correspond to. And that's how you would choose. So I'm all for that. What I do is make lists. And one of the things I do is I try to stop periodically and think, what would a typical reader think is going to happen next? And then I make a list of all the things that aren't that. And <laughs> you, I mean, it, it, it's, it works wonders because, and actually, you know, you can get two or three things, but if you go to four or five or six, you really churn your mind and subconscious, you get to some really startling and interesting things. And usually those are the ones that will excite you and that you want to follow. So yeah, that making lists and choosing that which is not anticipated, I call it unanticipation. That's what I call it. And you can do that really, in, not just with a scene, you can do it with a line of dialogue. I love having lines of dialogue that don't necessarily fit what was just said you know it's not just a direct response it's like why did why did the person say that and it's anything like that immediately picks up the reading experience for the reader it's 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 a, a marvelous thing the movie that i uh, saw when i wanted to when i got re-energized to try to see if i could write was moonstruck the romantic comedy with Cher and nicholas cage that movie is almost wall-to-wall, unanticipated characters and dialogue. If anybody wants to see how it's done, you watch that film because that is just a marvelous example of keeping you interested in quirky, unpredictable characters. Another really good film, more modern, that some of you may have seen that does this really well, is Enter the Spider-Verse, which is arguably the best Spider-Man film ever made and it's all about dramatic reversal every scene has a twist and it goes a different direction than you're expecting and and even the music and even like the way it's presented so i don't know if you've seen into the spider-verse but um the art for it is is a um it's spider-man falling but instead of falling the sky is above him and it's like he's flying up like even the art for the poster is even flipped and everything is is kind of on its head and it's fascinating how they do it in really compelling ways and uh, it earned its academy award 
in my opinion. It really was a masterpiece. Fantastic. And really underappreciated because people were biased against the art direction. <laughs> so don't let the art direction keep you away from an amazing story. If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. We have just barely scratched the surface on characters. There is so much more to talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time. So where can people learn more about creating unforgettable characters? Well, the book is available, of course, uh, on all venues, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo. And uh, my website is jamesscottbell.com. And I have a page there of all the writing books that I've done and the writing courses that I offer. So anybody interested in further study, just go to my website and, and uh, root around. Are you going to have an audiobook version of the character's book? I I am at the moment doing audio versions of my books. So yes, I plan to do a, an audio version. I don't know when. I'm not Thomas Umstadt. I'm not, you know, the studio genius, but uh, I am having fun doing it. And, you know, I really uh, uh, am having fun being able to do audio versions of my books right here. In fact, I've got here in my studio a little, uh, you know, sound foam that you recommended to me at one time. You know, the little thing that you put around your microphone. So I'm I'm doing it the Umstadt way. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I can't wait to listen to those audiobooks. So often the craft books are not made into audio, including some classics. Save the Cat was oh. not in audio format until recently. Oh. It, its sequels were in, in audio, but I'm like, how is Save the Cat not in audiobook format? This is arguably the most famous and most controversial you know screenwriting book. My, my wife and I listened to it. We really enjoyed it. It, it triggered some really interesting uh, conversations. But I, I highly recommend James Scott Bell's books. I um, have them as required reading in the five-year plan, and we get tons of really great feedback from uh, readers who've gone through those books, and it's really transformed uh, their writing. And we'll have links uh, to James Scott Bell's website and his craft books and this book, and specifically about unforgettable characters in the show notes. Our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Institute, and the course of the week is the Inside Secrets of Best-Selling Fiction by James Scott Bell. Ooh, <laughs> so sign me up! Is, this is based off of uh, Bell's workshops that he's talking about, actually. So if you were wishing you could go to those workshops, but you're afraid of COVID, uh, don't worry. There's a version of that on the Christian Writers Institute where you're going to learn not just about characters, but also about plot and voice and how to revise and the top 10 ways to get ideas and character-driven plot versus uh, plot-driven plot and so much more. So I encourage you to check out that course. And as always, you can save 10% if you use the coupon code podcast at checkout. Uh, James Scott Bell, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thomas, it was a great pleasure catching up with you and hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.